Okay, so uh, welcome everybody. Thanks for coming out uh, to what I believe is maybe our 46th episode or 47th or something like that. Can't really remember. Getting up there towards 50, and we're going to have to think of a cool 50th episode um, celebration topic. But uh, but yeah, so thanks everybody for coming out. We've got quite a few guests here. Um, for those of you who are slightly new, um, Dojo University is an online piping school where um, people pay a monthly membership fee to have access to tons of live classes. We actually do 15 or more live classes per week as part of a Dojo U membership. And then the, uh, the kicker is that all of the lessons are stored in the archive um, and they're categorized carefully. So there's literally hundreds of classes now. We actually have over 800 classes in the archive now that you can um, you can sort of search for and you can pick a topic and you'll have several uh, several classes where you know uh, where you can study any topic you can you can dream of. We had some good topics in the past week. Um, I taught a class uh, about what I call the graduated um, tuning effect. You know the effect that um, you know, when you raise or sink a, a chanter reed. I actually got a pretty good diagram out of it. I'll show you guys. Um, just because not only did I make a semi-cool diagram, but I also figured out how to print the diagrams I make to PDF. So check this out. Uh, if it loads, that is. Wait for it. There it is. Here's my graduated tuning factor. <laughs> Nice. artwork there and uh, so we talked a little bit about that you know uh, which was a really cool class which you can see in the archive just basically um, you know when you raise or sink a chanter reed the pitch is actually affected much more on the top hand or on the top notes uh, than it is as you work your way down and, and that's a major implication right because people say oh my low A's you know my bottom hands really flat let's just sink the reed which is the absolute wrong thing you should do because of the graduated tuning factor. So we talked about that a little bit this week. Um, what else do we have this week? Carl, what did you and Donald get up to on Monday? Anything good? Sorry, just had to enable my mic there. Uh, Donald and I got up to some really good stuff on Monday. Um, Donald had some really fantastic classes with, with great uh, class participation. Um, if anyone out there is is uh, interested in getting some hands-on stuff, tune in for Donald preparing your performance class. He's he's fielding some really phenomenal questions um, on a week-to-week -week basis. So uh, it, it was a it was a great class. Um, I, I caught the beginning and end of it because I teach right in the middle doing a a piping 101 class, which we're we're going through the basics of fully embellished tunes. So another great way to review your um, your your uh, fundamentals. So that's a, that's a fun class. Uh, and then his uh, Pbrock study class. It's just just it's cooking away. He did two tunes this week. Um, really really good tunes. Two classics. So. He did. I think he did the controversy. He did. Um, which is a really classic tune with a really semi-classic story, as I remember. It basically has yes. to do with the McLeod versus the McDonald's, right? That's the one. I think so, and I yes, and I can does. only assume that uh, I can only assume Donald got into the story there a little bit. Which oh, he absolutely did. <laughs> it was a great story. So. Great stories too, where there's lots of possible potential dismemberment and anger. Yes. And oh, yeah. other things going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we like possible dismemberment, yeah. sort of. <laughs> Ancient Pebrook history is kind of like Game of Thrones, man. <sighs> it is. At least that's what we think it is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, definitely. Well, and then um, and then he also, I think, touched on. I think they're going to do McGregor salute again this coming week, if I'm not mistaken. Well, he did one version. He did the Bob Nickel version, and then next week he's going to do the Bob Brown version, which is mm -hmm. straight out of the uh, out of the manuscript with no changes. So that's coming too. Yeah, well, that's pretty cool. And then, did anyone witness John Bottomley's class? I was. Uh, I was uh, purposely not there. I was relaxing. It's something I do every now and then for, you know, 20 <laughs> to 30 night. minutes. Yeah. Um, but um, 
I don't think any of us were there, were we? I know Mark was there, but Mark's the TA. But I know John's been. been well, so I hear they think they've been uh, been well received. Yeah. People been well attended. So we got really great feedback on that, um, and so, I'm sure many of you who were here last week will remember Derek Midgley was here last week. Um, I think was that the week before? I can't remember. Before. It must be before. Uh, anyway, um, you'll see on on dojouniversity.com you'll see. Our class with Derek Midgley is posted, and uh, that's going to start on May, Vin, what do we got, May something? May 14th. Yeah, um, and that's going to be really cool. That's a class sort of focusing on getting a great bagpipe sound, yeah. uh, which is something we haven't done in a while, and it'll be great to hear Derek's perspective. Derek has got a lot of interesting perspective on bagpipe sound because um, he's sort of studied or hung out with a lot of people uh, that are masters of great bagpipe sound. One of which is Chris Armstrong, right? Chris Armstrong is the pipe major of Scottish Power, and and they get a very, um, very unique and masterful sound in their band, um, which is currently second in the world, I, I think, as long as I'm, I didn't dream that. Um, and what's interesting is that, um, yeah, Derek has spent lots of time with different people there, and. And bagpipe sound is really, really important. Yeah, and, and Derek's, you know, spent a lot of time in Scotland too, so he's gotten that uh, that perspective on things. You know, uh, as much as you think like to think bagpipes is the same, I think you know the perspective of how to approach the instrument and the music and all that stuff is different depending on where you live and where you play. You know, so he's got a he's got that perspective coming that he'll bring to the class as well. Definitely. So um, so anyway, so that's a little little news briefing of what's been going on at Dojo U this week. Another cool thing, uh, we've had a problem with the downloading of files in the archive, and we're crossing our fingers. We've been informed that the, the update that's coming out in uh, approximately four days, so over the weekend, there's an update that will fix that problem. Uh, is, yes, you think that's and theoretically, it's retroactive, so it will fix every class in the archives. Uh, you'll be able to just hit the download button and and it will work um, the first time. I, I did post a class the other day about how to get around it. Um, I don't know if anybody watched that, but uh, it is there in the archives. I watched it. I watched so. it. Now I know how to get around it. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, hopefully that's, that's going to be an obsolete <laughs> notion here come, come Monday. So Yeah, hopefully people will be like, what are you talking about? It works perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> Never happens. It, yeah. It's kind of comical because it's taken us, what, six months to get this fixed? Yeah. Yeah, six months. We started in November. I'm going to, like, I'm going to have oh, sort of, stinks, like, man. I think I'm going to have post, I think I'm going to have post-glitch depression. Cause that's yeah, what I, I know. I've become attached to it. <laughs> you do when it all works well, right? Not any kind uh, of so, anyway, on to the topic at hand here, fellas. So, uh, uh, today's topic, we're just going to kind of talk about tunes today, I guess. And uh, the sort of the, the title question is, just how many tunes are there in the universe? I mean, then maybe you could introduce this topic because uh, you, you came up with this one. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, you know, it's something that we all do. We all look at tunes. We all like to play tunes, you know. We're always learning tunes when we're playing. So it's, you know, you have to think like, you know, well, where do you... Why are you learning the tunes that you're learning? If it's not just band material or uh, something else, I mean, what what moves you toward certain tunes and other and not others? And you know, and then when you do that, you start digging around. You start realizing, wow, there's a lot of tunes out there that I could be playing. You know, so it's it's like you know, I think you know the the leaves on the oak tree across the street from my house, you know, grew and fell for the next ten years. It still wouldn't cover enough. Um, Wow, that was that, were, that was that like very there. poetic, man. That was deep. <laughs> but there are a lot of tunes, you know. I mean, it's yeah. I, there's been bagpipes music has been published since the early 19th century in written form on the staff, and that's how many? Do the math in your head? Almost 200 years, you know, of of printed More music. Than 200 years, yeah. Or no, yeah, almost exactly 200. Yeah. So that's that's a lot of tunes. <laughs> that's yeah, a lot and, of music. Let me ask you this. I mean, how many do you think there are? 
my gosh. I mean, maybe we could ask. We should ask you guys out there too in the world. How many bagpipe tunes do you speculate that there are that have been written? I mean, there's only nine notes. There can't be that many, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. They must have all been written by now, right? <laughs> and I mean, there, there's there's got to be a finite number of combinations. But you would think there's probably a way to figure it out. Oh, there is. Yeah, it's a. That no, there's really not. Factorial. There isn't really, because there's too many variables, right? And uh. I think it'd just time, be a very, very large idioms, number. Time signatures, different rhythmic patterns, that uh all play into that. I mean, the same note combination played in different rhythms could easily fit into different tunes, right? So already you've got how many tunes from one basic rhythm, from one basic note combination, you know? Yeah. Fascinating. So Bruce says, my guess would be there's somewhere between 2,500 and 3,500 tunes. I think it was there were that many jelly beans in the last jar of jelly beans when I guessed at the, my family reunion picnic. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a lot. I would say, I would definitely say there certainly could be no less than, I mean, I think, Bruce, I think if you added a zero on, I think that yeah. might be closer. I think there's anywhere between 25,000 and 35,000 tunes. That would be I, my, I, would, I think that would I be a good guess. I think we should, I think I, my guess would be more a cracking three digits, you know, we'd get up into the 100,000 range or more, probably, I think. I mean, we're thinking strictly bagpipe music now. This is music written by pipers, for pipers, arranged mm -hmm. by pipers, for pipers, you know, because, I mean, there's a lot of crossover in different kinds of instruments. You know, there's been fiddle tunes transposed for pipes and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's and then David says, how many have been lost before we started writing them down? And I think that's a great question. Or question. how many people, you know, and... And, you know, how many published bagpipe tunes are there? There's actually probably uh, an educated guess out there in the world as to that, the answer to that question. But, yeah, how many tunes are not really published, you know, and maybe, um, you know, maybe a band came up with a tune and they're playing it, or, you know, maybe I, I wrote a little yeah. jig and I put it in my jig set. And... Yeah, definitely, certainly. Andrew says there I mean, are probably 12 times as many drum scores. Now, see, I don't think that is probably true. Only because drummers play the standards over so many of the tunes, uh, conceptually, and also because a lot of the tunes bagpipers play would never be attempted in a band. Yeah. I mean, just as a, as a general um, benchmark, I guess, if you will, um, callshawn.net, if anybody is interested. Um, I'm definitely interested. Is, Sean. is uh Carl Sean was a was a was a guy he he took a lot of old bagpipe collections and started releasing them on CD a while back um, and selling them on CD so it was all these out of print collections all these old uh, music collections you know like David Glenn and all these and, and that period you know um, a while ago <laughs> he put the whole thing up on his website for free and now it all exists there as basically a library. Um, of you know all the oh, old packs, and there are, there are well over seven thousand tunes there, you know, in like something like thirty collections, forty collections, or something like that. Um, so, you know, that's and that hits a period that like covers books up until like World War Two. <laughs> so you're talking about you know seven thousand tunes, you know, and it doesn't even cover every collection that existed in that period before World War Two either, and that's seven thousand. So, yeah. So there's some it's overlap. It's all very obviously. interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, there's some overlap. There's some duplicate settings of tunes in absolutely, there. It looks absolutely. like, but uh, yeah, it's all very interesting. So anyway, it's always very interesting to speculate. And then you know, one of the things too is when you come across a person like a Jim McGillivray or a Jack Lee or um, some of these people that can literally play, factu <laughs> factually play right. thousands of tunes at a moment's notice like you know it's not just that so many tunes exist but then there are pipers out there you know um, I'm, I'm pretty good myself but not with names per se but I can I can regurgitate quite a few tunes guys like Eric Olette and Keegan in in our band and or and more you know um, those guys are able to play a really really wide range of yeah. tunes and 
I just don't I mean, understand how they do that. Well, I mean, once you learn them, if they, it's it's always surprised me too. Uh, you know, when you you'd be practicing or something and just messing around too many up or something, and then you start playing something you haven't played in years and you play the whole thing all the way through, and it's like, wow, okay, <laughs> yank that one out of my uh, my bunghole. <laughs> but it was, yeah. but it was, you know, so but it was sitting back there, and it, you know, it doesn't ever go away. It just sits there, and it's it just requires some sort of you know sort of nudge to get it to the surface again, I guess. Um, but yeah, on demand, on command, like when it's needed, you know, in a, in a performance or something like that, is is pretty impressive, you know. I mean, like you know, the Wheel of Fortune contest. We, I think we mentioned that before. You know, that, that's every uh, at the beginning of the year in Scotland. It's like they spin a wheel, right? And the players are supposed to play whatever happens on the wheel. And the wheel is composer's type of tune, you know, you know, in a, a period, <laughs> you know, a period of time, and it's like, and they, and the players have to pull something out, you know, they, they so it'll be like Donald McLeod's Drass Bay, you know, and it'll be some sort of other topic, and then they'll have to play that, they'll have to pull some Donald McLeod tune that they know out of out of nowhere, you know. That's cool. Um, yeah, and it's and it's not stuff, you know. So it's, which is which is cool about it is that you really sort of it's a t test of your own sort of mental stamina, I guess, you know, realizing what, what's that, what's in there, and what can you actually uh, remember and play and all that stuff. So, but the only way to do that, really, is to learn tunes all the time, I think. So you got to constantly plumb the depths of these kinds of collections and these kinds of resources to constantly look at tunes, constantly play tunes. You know? So, I mean, Great. you could probably never learn every tune in the universe, but you'd come close, maybe. <laughs> I don't think you could come close. No, maybe not. Um, all right, let's um, let's move on to some of the more relevant topics because uh, you can really only speculate how many tunes there are out there. Um, what makes a good tune? And I'd love to hear you know what people in the audience think makes a good tune as well. Um, you know what what are the characteristics of tunes that make you want to learn them or that make you keep them in your repertoire? You know what sort of stuff makes a good tune? That's the question I want to throw out there to see what folks say. Andrew says, catchy ending phrases. All right. I think that's definitely good. Good catchy ending phrases. Let me ask another question that. for everybody out there. I mean, does, how, does, do people play tunes? You know, you're, you're learning tunes for competition, obviously, maybe if you're doing that and playing a band and you've got your band stuff and you're playing that, but you know, how many tunes do you typically learn, say, on your own for just for fun, um, you know, any given given year, you know? Um, and if you do that, like, and that goes back to the question, you know, like, what, what, why are you choosing those, you know? What's, what's, what's important about those to you? It's all very interesting. I see a few people are typing down there. I mean, I actually like, you know, one of the things I like about a lot of these older settings, um, a lot of these older tunes, is that they, they sort of reflect an older style of playing that no one really plays anymore, you know, and, and it's, and it's, it's, it's it, the rhythm, the rhythmic, so the rhythms of these tunes, even the tunes that we know and that we're familiar with, are very regular and very sort of um, you know, hypnotic almost, you know, when you, when you hear them, and it's, it's just, it's, you know, the embellishments are, are deliberately placed to, c to catch that sort of regular dance for them. Um, and, 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 you know, I don't know. That appeals to me. I like that. A lot of, you find that in a lot of the old reels, the old stress bays. Um, and then along the way, people have thrown in all kinds of other things, like other grace notes and moved a couple of notes. And, and you have a more modern presentation that's got a little bit more, I don't know, a little more lift if you want or a little bit more uh, excitement maybe. Yeah, I mean... Uh Martin is saying, I think he kind of, he's saying you got to divide tunes into competition tunes, crowd pleaser tunes, and bar tunes. <laughs> I, uh, so are bar tunes not crowd pleasers? Or do you just have to like, are they just simplified so people at the bar can understand what you're doing? Um, yeah, you know, it I depends on who's in the bar. You know, if the bar is full of pipers, that's one thing, I guess. And if the bar is full of, you know, irregular crowd Right. I mean, I've been to some bars. I've been to some bars where no bagpipe music is probably the right way to go. <laughs> uh, but uh, but generally, I see. I think I see what Martin's saying, and uh, definitely you're right about that. Certainly, competition repertoire 
is different than crowd pleaser repertoire, you know, and it, it definitely begs the question whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. And we, we've definitely seen competitions that uh, exist to try to break down that barrier a little bit, you know, some of the recital competitions and stuff like that. But Martin, I think you're definitely right about that. There's definitely Let's go a lot of that kitchen piping type stuff working its way into pipe band medleys. And, and Andrew says, uh, tunes that reflect an emotion, time period, or process phenomena. Wow, that's heavy <laughs> duty. Um, yeah, well, I'm not, okay, so obviously emotional tunes are cool. Uh, Andrew, what do you mean by, I mean, how do you reflect a time period? I guess, you know, you could have an older style. And then it would be interesting to hear what you mean by process phenomena as well. Uh, and if, if and while he answers, we'll move on. David's working his way through the College of Piping essential tunes just because. I'm, the, I'm with you. I think, like I think some of these must-know tunes are really important for us all to learn. Um, it's one of the – that's one of the problems you can run into when you play in a band and when you learn the band material is because bands will inevitably – you know, um, miss some of the essential repertoire that every piper should know. So sometimes you come across a person who's grown up in such and such a band, and they don't really know the standards, so to speak. And so I think, yeah, I think it's really important to learn the standards. So uh, I'm with you on that one, David. And you can certainly Wouldn't spend you? a lot of time doing that. That's for sure. I mean, you could, you could, you know, be. It's there's a there's an endless list of tunes that probably you should have in your repertoire at some point in your life. You know. Definitely. Um, Sean says, how about a class on how to play those old style tunes in the way they used to be played? Oh, goodness. Oh, All right. Man. We're going to have to get somebody. We're going to have to get somebody old to do that. That's hard, man. I'm not old enough yeah. for that. But, you know, you, but you get a you get a sense of it when you look at the settings, you know, you can get you can definitely get a sense of it. If you think if you sort of think about it. I think um, tempos were a lot faster for some of these tunes, especially with the dance music, you know. And, uh, it's weird so, you say that, but that's not necessarily always true. I well, mean, I, I, um, it's a it's a speculation, really, because I think what what, what that's why they're kind of stripped down into their sort of basic rhythms is they're easier to play that way fast, you know, and they're easier to play that way for a quicker dance uh, dance pace than say the Piper pace that we all play now, because we're not playing for dancers anymore, we're playing for ourselves, um, and you know, and it's just easier to play nice and relaxed. It's not you know you don't have you don't have to worry about people jumping around. You know? Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Lynn is saying she likes a tune with melody that swings. Martin says, on top. Martin says on top of crowd pleasers, competition tunes, and bar tunes, there are also classics and peebs. P e e b. Peebs. Uh, I like it. Some peeb rock as well. Okay, Sean. How about a? Oh yeah, we we get, did that one. Robert says, I love tunes like the Dark Island, and so do I. I think, um, I think the Dark Island, you know, I think the reason we like tunes like that is it's in the minor key, right? Or it's in, you know, something resembling a minor key. Um, you know, we could examine the exact mode that it's in. But, yeah, it's um, – the minor key tunes certainly uh, – my close associates always make fun of me for loving the minor tunes as well. Um, and so, uh, also mentions hammer on the anvil. I think that's another minor tune. Lots of bees in that tune. Well, see, Andrew came back. See, I was asking Andrew what he meant by process-based or time period-based, and he came back with slightly esoteric responses like running stream over rocks and morning finch <laughs> singing in it's your like window. Haiku or something. Yes. Ooh, we should have a haiku day. <laughs> haiku, piping haiku. Maybe your best bagpipe haiku. That's great. <laughs> Idea. Uh, but then, meanwhile, Andrew's also sort of saying after that, Hammer on the Anvil is another example. That, that is a cool tune, and, and I agree with you. So um, so there you go. Uh, I mean, I, I, I always like, I mean, it's, it's, there's, it's, you know, a lot of tunes in the last, I guess, 30 years or so have gotten pretty crazy when you talk about original compositions. You know, they depart from what I think is like the true sort of like solid character of pipe music, which it has, it has sort of a regular structure. And it has that sort of, you know, when we're talking about simple things like call and, call and response, or there's 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 just a, that sort of rhythm, that, that structure between parts and between phrases that line up and just rhyme as the as the tune moves along. And I think that you know a lot of a lot of people, to, to be original, 
they try to mess around with that a little bit too much, maybe. Because I think I think that's then it then it then it departs the realm of what pipe music, you know, the the character of pipe music, which is that's got that sort of solidity and grounding, I guess you want to call it that. Oh. Maybe yours does. Maybe. <laughs> I have no solidity and grounding in my playing. All right, so uh, Martin Martin is carrying on here. You may remember Martin from uh, discerning the different types of tunes, and uh, so he's he's being more he's getting into the specifics now, and he's saying most bands need funding to survive. Agreed. Uh, survival comes from parades and benefit shows, and the competition tunes will not hold up in these environments to bring in the money. Does that mean that we shouldn't learn them though? Is that what he's saying? I don't know. No, I don't think it means we shouldn't learn them. I think it means what he's arguing is. We need to be careful to separate, you know, the purposes of tunes, mm-hmm. right? And then there are some tunes that you just play when you're at the bar, right? Which, you know, I'll leave sure. that up to you to yeah. figure out. I mean, well, that's you know, yeah, and I guess I guess the whole point is like, you know, you wouldn't necessarily, you know, I mean, if you're playing solo competition, there's certainly a lot of leeway these days for things that you want to learn. You know, you don't necessarily have to worry about the tunes that are going to win you a silver medal or the A grade at, uh, at Oban or something, but you may, you know, you can choose marches and spades and reels that really sort of speak to you. You don't have to worry about, you know, you, like you said, there's the classic tunes, which easily you could sort of work on and learn, but then there's there's other tunes just as just as legitimate that you could play that are not so much classics, but, you know, you like to play. You know, I like, you know one of the things that I, I always, I always gauge a tune, it's like, how do I, how do I, well, I like playing it, you know, is, is it fun to play? Is it, I don't know, it's, it's just a feeling, I guess, you know, what your fingers are doing and what you're hearing. And, I mean, Gordon Duncan's tunes are, come to mind as, as, as two, they're just fun to play. You play around with them. They're just, I mean, they're, they're like, you know, I don't know. It's like not only are they good tunes, they're just fun to play, you know, as a piper, you know. They're not a fiddle tune transposed and, you know, you're sort of forcing the bagpipe scale in there or some other type of music that you're sort of forcing into the bagpipe scale. They're like raw piping tunes, you know. Yeah, man. For sure. Uh, here's a, here's an interesting comment from the audience. Scottish history is sad and brutal. Songs like Skyboat Song have history. Uh, and uh, that's interesting. So it's definitely sort of a, a, a good uh, response to, you know, tunes that reflect a time period or process, right? So a, a lot of tunes are written for, you know, historical, or inspired by historical events. Oh yeah. Well, I, I would I would refer everybody to pipehacker.com. I got my small tunes series, the podcasts and the and the tunes up there, are that that very thing. It's all these little tunes that are that have a, a story and a background, and they don't come from any nowhere. They come from something, and musicians have sort of gravitated to them and latched onto them for for that reason. And keep playing them, you know, because they do speak to that sort of character of history and, and you know, I don't know, national pride and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, there's there's a bunch of them that are like that. I mean, Laws of Cromdale, right? You just did a did a bunch of classes on that tune. That's one that's got a lot of history. What's the history there? The Laws of Cromdale. That was effectively the end of the Stuart one of the first Stuart Rebellion and the beginning of what would become the Jacobite Rebellion. Um, which would end in Battle of Colada. It was it was, uh, it, was it was a bunch of uh, rebels who were sort of routed on the low ground, which the Hawes, it's, that's what the Hawes are. It's a word for low ground. Um, but it was one of those things that generated a lot of national pride, even though they lost. <laughs> and uh, and you know, no, it's behind a lot of songs, a lot of a lot of sort of storytelling as well. So naturally, you get a tune or two that come out of it. Yeah, you're, you're definitely definitely right about that. I mean, um, they were sort of it was they were sort of battling what they considered to be an alien, you know, uh, imposition on on uh, you know on Scotland. And so yeah, even even though they got the crap beat out of them, you know, more often than not, you know, they um, you know even even losses were sometimes uh, mm-hmm. you know people oh, yeah. very very proud of. You know, so, so you get something like the Halls of Cromdale played as a march, which is what it was set as for a long, long time, um, and uh, you know, just probably played, you know, at every gathering of any kind. You know, so it's actually one of those tunes that was 
probably played as as frequently as Scotland the Brave is today, you know. Um, but at some point, I just sort of lost favor or something. I don't know. Right. Yeah, it's not as interesting as Scotland the Brave, and it's not as um, you know, it's not as obvious. I think. Yeah. I think you know. Anyway, I digress. I can only speculate on that. Let's move on to where where do we go to find the best tunes? And again, I'd love to hear where people out there go to find the best tunes. But uh, let's say you're hungry for a new tune and uh, you want to find a good one. Where do you go? Where do, you, where do people get their inspiration from? Um, I'll tell you where I go. I'll start off um, by saying I usually look to um, traditional melodies. And lately, my kick has been you know, taking traditional melodies and doing something new with them. You know, especially in the pipe band idiom, you know, um, it's important for the music that we play to have familiarity, but it's also important for it to be really exciting. And, um, you know, I'm in the position because of my experience and knowledge with, you know, arranging various music and composing, sort of in the situation to use different techniques to combine that all together. So um, as the guys in our band know, that's that's one of the kicks I've been been on. Um, and so I'll find basically any tune like this year we're working on Sleepy Maggie and okay here's a very traditional melody um, you know where can we go with this that that we haven't experienced before and, and you know are you know and then are there other things we can do to it to to draw things together so you know I don't know Bruce says CDs listening to bands at the games. That's definitely a huge source of inspiration, I think, for a lot of people. CDs are awesome. I mean, like, and that and that doesn't even just cover just straight piping either. You know, it's like folk CDs and various traditional groups always have a good tune or two. You sort of like perk up your ears, and it's hard to say like what makes you really respond to that particular tune in that set. You know, but you're like listening, like, oh wow, that's, hey, that would look, you know, and then you start thinking, like, would that fit on the pipe? And you start, yeah, that'll fit on the pipes. Maybe we we'll can mess around with that. You know, but um. And, uh, yeah, but so listening to, to pipe bands, straight pipe bands, or even solo pipers is always good. Because some of these guys, you know, especially the solo recordings that come out in the last 10 years or so, I mean, you know, Stuart Little and Gordon Walker and all these guys, they always manage to find tunes and do something to them that is, like, completely brand new. And it's always surprising, you know. Like, there's, there's so many, like you said, there's so many tunes out there that they can just play tunes. And you still enjoy listening to them, but they always end up coming up with something that you haven't heard before, you know. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. All right, Andrew, too, is typing again, so um, this could get interesting. Uh-oh. Okay, controversial. <laughs> until, until SFU played the sleeping tune, Andrew didn't have respect for it. And then I assume now, Andrew, you're saying that you now respect uh, the SFU pipe band's rendition of the sleeping tune. I actually wrote uh, like a techno electronic arrangement of the sleeping tune uh, for the Scotia Glenville pipe band once. Did they ever do it? Oh yeah, they did it. It sounded really cool too. Pretty cool. Um, and so, so that was pretty cool. Well, you know, and there you go. Like that's there's another good example. Like you know, until you actually hear some of you know your favorite bands or um, you know players play these tunes, you never really realized how good they are. And why is that? You know, is it because you're just not hearing something in the in the tune, or maybe it's something? You know, what what was it that says have you found in the sleeping tune that you sort of didn't respect? <laughs> you know, I mean, you have to ask yourself these questions. You know, I said, so what was it about that tune that I didn't really care for? And yeah, now I do because they played it so well. You know, Terry Lee is funny that way. Uh, you know, I've had experience in this regard. You know, having gone to practice and Terry will come with this tune, and you're like, what? You've got to be kidding me, you know. Uh, but then, but then you're right. Somewhere along the line, you, you you make the connection. It's like, oh, that's that is what Terry saw in the tune. And sure enough, the band is making a really good go of a tune that you previously would never have considered. Um, and I'm sure it goes it goes the other way too, you know. Like if uh, you know when and and if you've ever collaborated with other musicians, you know this process, right? You hear someone else's idea, maybe, and you're like. 
I don't know about that. Uh, but then you know, but then you give it a try, and you're like, hey, wait a second, that really works. And I think that is actually, uh, I think I'm getting to the bottom of the power of collaboration too. You know, it's it's things you wouldn't have considered that work really, really well. Um, and I think that's kind of that's yeah, kind I think, of. I think you know, as, as Piper, especially in the United States, we definitely don't play for each other enough. That you know, outside of competition or where we can do or that at kind all? of sharing. Yeah, or at all, right? Yeah. Where we get a chance to share these kinds of things, share tunes that we find that we like, you know, with each other, and and uh, you know, say, hey, look, I found this really cool tune, and play it, and and just because that's what pipers used to do, and that's why there were so many books out there, and why there were so many tunes that pipers could recall, is because that's what they did. They played for each other. They just sort of played around, and when they weren't competing, they were sharing tunes, and you know, because each each region of Scotland probably had its own sort of musical character as well. So they, you know, tunes from one area would never have been heard in some other area. And so when you meet on the games field, it's perfect. Here's, just, here's, here's why. Here's why people don't play together anymore. There's too much really, really intriguing reality television on TV. There's too much. <laughs> right? So like how am I supposed people. to keep up with... Yeah, how am I supposed to keep up with the Swamp People, the Duck Dynasty, the Pawn Stars? You know, uh, you know I've got to watch the reruns of Lost and House and... Um, <laughs> You know, how am I supposed to keep up with all this and get together with my buddies and play pipes? Yeah. It's just know. not going to happen. And it's no. certainly easier to watch reality TV. Yeah. Definitely easier. And, and that's why, I, you know, that's why it doesn't it's, happen. It's easy. I think it's like, I don't know. <laughs> I had to clean up some brain cells after I watched the last episode of Swamp People. It sort of fell out of my head. Now, see, David, I don't know if I can agree with you here. He says reality TV should be a reason not to watch TV <laughs> and to go pipe instead. I don't, you clearly have not seen The Duck Dynasty because, <laughs> wow. Or um, Long Island Medium. Yeah, that's where – oh, yeah. oh, yeah. That's great. You just, how can you, how can you, t how can you turn – Are you off? just making these names up, Andrew? I, I apologize for being ignorant. I don't, I don't own cable TV. <laughs> I literally don't pay for cable because I don't have time to watch TV. Carl, there is a lady who can talk to the dead on TV. In and, Long Island. Uh, oh, really? In Long Island, no less. And, no. Uh, and that is worth watching. I don't care who you ask. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think I'd rather get out a, a, a tune book and play through a tune I don't know. Uh, yeah, that sounds like way more entertaining. And I'm, I'm not just being facetious here. I'm, I'm being serious. Like, what, wait, what's more dead people? Uh, not dead people, or people pretending to talk to dead people. You can actually play uh, music. I think playing music is way more fun. Um, Could be right. That's just—I think you're all crazy. <laughs> and of course, I'm being—I think—I think it's important to note that yes, I am being sarcastic. I am not telling the truth. Um, obviously, uh, yes. I think the uh, American lifestyle gets in the way of adopting a more uh, you know, a more musical lifestyle. Yeah, it's one of the it's one of the real difficulties I think for especially for new composers to come out and like actually publish their tunes. It's you know, it, you have to have tremendous admiration for the people who do have done it in the last you know five to ten years because you know no one sees this crap. <laughs> like you know, so so you know, unless you're really gung ho and you're really into the new stuff that's coming out, like most people aren't even aware that it's out there. And that's and it comes speaks to that kind of thing. Like if we were sharing tunes all the time, like we'd be aware of the new stuff that comes out. Like we'd be looking at it with you know anticipation and sort of like ooh you know there's a new book out you know by so and so. Um, but we we don't think that way anymore. You know there's that that's not looked upon as a sort of a something worth seeking out or something. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, some interesting stuff coming in here on the wire. Robert says I think we should teach piping in our Canadian schools. Um, well, an interesting tidbit is I believe that's going on. Um, at least I'm almost 100% certain that's going on in British Columbia as we speak. Um, you know, it's possible to get uh, school credit for bagpiping. I don't think they're teaching it in the schools per se, but you can. But it's uh, applicable, you know, to school study piping and programming. Yeah, and there's a, there's a handful of schools in the United States that do it. You know, public high schools and whatnot. Um, certainly in a fair number of colleges these days right now, too, as well. It would be interesting to have somebody, like, it would be interesting to have Jack Lee come on and talk a little bit about that, too, because I think that's something we're all interested in, 
I'm very, very interested in that, you know, um, playing in a pipe band or, or taking bagpipe lessons is, believe it or not, a uh, valid musical activity. And um, it should be, you know, and it should be definitely possible for, for kids to study piping as, as, part of their, um, as part of their education. Absolutely. absolutely. You know, and certainly, if you, even, if you, even if you get a few of them together, I mean, even if it's not like school band size, you know, program, it's at least you can get a quartet of kids together playing something together, you know, which they could then perform, you know, uh, in front of you know, assemblies sure. and various other things, just like a school band would, you know. Robert says it's part of our Canadian history. Yes, it's also part of, uh, it's also, you know, for reasons similar to it being part of Canadian history, it's also part of American history, too. Uh, it teaches cooperation and achieving goals. I don't know what pipe bands you've played in, but that's not true. No, I'm kidding. It's, of course, definitely true. It just depends. Uh, uh, isn't Ian Donaldson teaching in Dunedin, Florida High School? I believe that may be true. I mean, that's one of that's one of the ones, that, uh, one of a handful, I think, of schools that are actually doing something like that. There's, a, there's one here in New Jersey. Um, yeah, I know they exist. I mean, I think it, it would be interesting to to see it, you know, be a little bit more widespread. Uh, St. Johnsbury, of course, yeah. And then Andrew, the original Andrew here, also made a comment earlier that I wanted to uh, address, which is he said there's a lot of bagpipe books out there for piping tunes, but then relative to that, there are very, very few drumming books available. Absolutely. Where do you go? I mean, I wonder, you know, drum scores are, of course, different, but kind of the same. And, uh, you know, I think I think what's interesting about that is there are so many different, you know, uh, there are a lot of different drummers doing a lot of different drum scores out there. But the drum scores never really get published. Yeah. And by never, I mean sometimes, but it's pretty rare. I think there's, what, like two books out there that have a collection of actual scores, right? And I don't even think Alex Duthert's, Alex Duthert's scores are published anywhere, really, I don't think. No, they are. There's two books of Duthert scores out there. Is there? Yeah, I think Whether or not they're still in print, I can't speak to it. We actually sell at least one of them at the dojo. And actually, as a matter of fact, the, the first Edcath book, Edcath collection, was a collection of books that came out of um, by Donald Shaw Ramsey. He's the one who compiled yeah. it. Um, there are drum scores for some of these tunes. In the book, in the first book, there are drum scores that accompany some of the tunes that are in there. A lot of them, actually, a good, a good half of the tunes in that book have drum scores by the likes of Jimmy Catherwood. You know, who was a very influential figure in pipe band drumming back in the day, um, and, and folks like that. You know, so I'm not sure how they would stand up to modern styles. I, I really don't know. But, uh, I don't know either. I'm not yeah. quite sure about that. They're written on but the full staff too, but it, it, which makes it a little bit, I think, hard to sort of suss out maybe. But uh, it'd be worth checking out. You know. Definitely, and and I mean, I think that's something that's going to change eventually. I think that uh, you know. Uh, with all due respect, it's possible the average drummer is not as organized as would be required uh, to produce a book and, uh, and publish it. And, you know, publishing anything on your own is just ridiculously difficult to begin with. you got to be a little bit crazy to go through that I mean, whole process. Like, like, so like, drummers right now kind of learn the way pipers of old used to learn, right? They just sort of like copy and do what they're told and... You know, and then they learn wow. various. That's kind of a harsh. That's and kind of a harsh, harsh criticism. Wow. But, you know, when you talk about like me, two or three yeah, books of drumming I mean, scores wanna, out there, like you know, what do, where, where are they getting there. this stuff? Hold on, time out, time <laughs> time out. I want to I want to backtrack and say I was joking about the lack of drumming organization. Okay, that was a joke. I think you're going. I think you went straight up mean here by saying all I'm drummers do is copy people. No, no, far from it. Some of my best wow. friends are drummers. <laughs> Carl is laughing nervously, saying we have to get off this topic. So I think to clarify, uh, I think to clarify, Vin thinks drummers are inept, and then I just jokingly, <laughs> I just jokingly threw a stereotype out there. Reed Vance Jones told me that pipers don't understand the blank page, meaning they can okay, find music easily, which is true. I, under, I, 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 I'm, I'm with you there. I, I think I, I'm, I speak about that kind of process with great admiration, you know, being able to sort of construct it of whole cloth um, and, and, and right. make it work, you know. 
But at some point, you have to have a written record. Otherwise, they get lost to the to the to the mists of time or something, you know. And, and like, where's the record of all of this great stuff, you know? I think we can answer that now and say YouTube and uh, cases like that where where it's now getting recorded, and theoretically we'll be here. I don't know, probably indefinitely. Uh, and and that's kind of reassuring for that sort of um, learning style. But I. I would tend to agree that I, I think it should be written down. Yeah. I mean, how hard is it to keep a drum corps going with a lot of, I mean, Pipers learn tunes all the time, and then you have to have a drum corps sort of create scores for these tunes. Um, it would be nice if there were standard sort of stuff that they could just pull alongside. You know, well, I know, I know there They don't exist anywhere in print somewhere where you can just pull them or download them or whatever, you know. Um, I think they do. I think they do exist. I think, um, you know, I'm not sure I agree that, uh, you know, music is best when it's written down. I don't think I agree with that. You know, I think um, I think the oral tradition and, and then now, you know, in, in popular music, there's sort of more of the, you know, the YouTube or pop culture phenomenons. You know, I think I think these are the interesting things. And I think this is where you see, now I'm going to reel it in here for you, for you guys. All right. I'm going to reel it in. I think this is where drumming and the drumming culture really excels is, uh, you know, but, you know, in the fact that it's not rigidly written down and there aren't, you know, traditional settings of tunes, unless you could argue maybe Duffert's material is becoming traditional. But I think what's going on in drumming, which is really interesting, which is not necessarily going on in piping, uh, you know, to the same degree, is that there is an organic uh, sort of uh, influence that happens in the world where people, you know, so if you take Stephen McCorder, for example, He's drawing really interesting influences from all sorts of areas of music making and all sorts of um, other uh, drumming styles, for example, and which is part of the reason Stephen is, you know, producing things that are so successful. And you could say the same about Reed Maxwell and Jim Kilpatrick and, and what have you. And I think that's partially because there's not some sort of rigid expectation about exactly how a tune should go. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I think, you know, for a drum corps to go out and just play someone else's score... Um, I think that's. I think it's widely accepted that that is a bad idea, um, and so you're actually what you're seeing there is an actual sort of trading like of influences. Opposite of what's really happened good. with piping over the last 200 years. You know, it's it's. Well, exactly. you get, you now, get, if I, meanwhile, on the other hand, in the old collections too, you get really you get, you get an insight into the variety that really existed in playing style and and tune presentation that eventually you know was sort of I don't know cast in cement at some point. And I, you know, I would, and I think it's part of the reason why the music has thrived for the last 200 years in print, is because there's always been this variety out there that people have gravitated to in right. different ways. And and I think if if publishing music publishing at 200 years ago had the same rigidity as publishing today, you probably wouldn't see as many tunes out there in print. And you'd have the same kind of thing going on where people would be like playing their own stuff, and you would never see it. You know, you'd only be able to hear it somewhere. You know. Yeah. And Andrew says, uh, often, but not always, pipers don't really understand the blank page concept. I think, you're, I, think you, I think often is the right word there. I, think, I don't think people are understanding it. You know, me, you know, for example, if Oren Moore wanted to go play a radical new arrangement of Lord Alexander Kennedy at the Worlds in the MSR circle, uh, it would be laughed off the field. Which, by the way, I think is okay in some ways, but in other ways, you know, um, it's, a, it's well, drastically different than the drumming. Like in the drumming, it's kind of like, well, what sort of unique approach can you bring to this to really bring out the tune? I digress. Uh, we, let's wrap this up here. Uh, publishing your own work has become infinitely easier given the internet. Yeah, but it's also become, but it's also become infinitely more difficult to to uh, be recognized right. as being good. Exposure you know? is definitely the key component there. You know. Exactly. So, uh, but that's an interesting thing. And then Robert, trying to drag us back down asks how much music can you write for two notes left and right uh, so oh, that's, wow that's cruel wow we really have we really have to work on this we have to work on a, a spirit this is like dojo you racism or something that's going on. <laughs> yes, it, it's the piping equivalent right instrument instrumentationism uh is a yeah and andrew says it's four notes and i actually have read uh michael eagle's article and i know that there are even more than that there's like a 
I forget. I forget what my drummer's alphabet is. I have to research it again. But I know this is a respectable uh, thing. Something something respectable is happening here. Ooh, and Carl. Ooh, Carl's going with the up and down stroke. See, this is good. This is a spirit of um, harmony, <laughs> coexistence. All right, guys. So. So you know, we we just have to we have to calm down the anti-drumming. It's already assured. He's right about that. You, know, you don't want to mess around with the drummers. You gotta like, you know. Oh jeez! Oh no! no. <laughs> <laughs> we have to call it Christy. <laughs> it's going oh, down the table. How did this happen? I feel oh, like this show is yeah. like the show is like the Hindenburg. Man, we're going down in flames. <laughs> oh jeez! Well. And I understand well, my and rep- Alex another quote it says a lot like uh, I think it was Bill Livingston that said it said there's only nine notes how hard could it be, you know? There you go. Well, um, I think we need to end this show immediately. Is there anything positive we can say before we end uh, that might sort of redeem our name as a respectable institution? <laughs> uh, I don't. I think no is the answer to that question. <laughs> we have a stew in our own juice there. Uh, yeah see and i knew see i figured this out a long time ago andy that uh, <laughs> the original andrew is indeed a drummer and uh it's andy adams i knew this andy adams is a very good drummer from vermont andy thanks for being a good sport today and uh not throwing us under the bus yeah. i mean it's gonna be out it's gonna it's gonna be out andy says thumbs up uh hopefully uh if we're still in business next week, we'll be back for our 47th episode. Uh, it's a good thing there's not like a there's not like a thought police or anything going around. Yeah. And Andrew too is <laughs> Andrew the legislation that causes legislation against uh, you know yes persecution and, and things like that. All right, everybody all right, have a right. wonderful week. We'll see you next week. Yes, pipers and drummers all. You know, and I would too. even. Yes. Have a lovely Drum day. <laughs> hope you have a great day, and then you are fired. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. See you later, everybody. <laughs>